Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Secret Sauce of Selling podcast, the ultimate guide and sales gym to unlocking the secrets of successful selling. I'm your host, James Abraham, and on my mission to empower the world's best generation and finest generation of sales professionals and business leaders around the world has ever seen. And I'm super excited to be here today with Marcus Kauke, a friend, a colleague, a mentor, um, his profound impact on my career and on many, many people around the world in sales and leadership. Marcus, welcome, welcome to the show. Thanks, James. It's a delight to be here. Um, and it's just we, we were talking about the topic today, and, and, and you, you mentioned some, some interesting insights with what's really, what you're really passionate about these days, um, and, and compromising values. So salespeople that are compromising values um, or, want, or don't want to compromise values, tell us, tell us more about the topic of what we're talking about. Well, the, the people who normally come to me for help are principled sellers, and they're normally, they've already been successful. And they've been through the traditional trainings and they've worked hard and they're committed. But what was working isn't working. The context has changed. And over the years, what I've realized is that it's really not about the technique. It's about turning up and being a decent human being. Um, if you're a decent human being, you don't need technique um, because your attention is focused on the other human being. Um, I do teach the Jimmy Carroll, which I won't teach today because it's quite rude. Uh, but if you uh, meet three people who you would rather not meet, uh, be or spend time with uh, in a row by 12 o'clock, chances are that's you. Um, and mm. uh, what tends to happen is as the pressure builds, as we um, start to fail more, um, we work harder and that frustration builds. And so what tends to happen is one or other of our fundamental human needs, things like significance, certainty, connection, variety, those sorts of things, um, do not get met. And when two or more of them are not met, then human beings will override their values. So most of my work is helping people create the conditions within the constraints that are outside of their control to make better choices and the net result of that is that they can be calm and they can uh, be relaxed in front of the customer and not be trying to push their agenda or be coercive or manipulative. It's all about the customer, their outcome, because that's what they pay you for. They don't care about your product or service. No one has ever bought coaching from me or training from you or software from you. Okay, they, no one buys that stuff. They pay for outcomes, which they rent for as long as they are fit for purpose. Even if they love them, if they're no longer fit for purpose, they drop them and replace them. And our job is to stay current, which means we have to pay attention. And that's sadly lacking in most salespeople because we're always in the short term, in a hurry, moving on. So, you know, there are so many questions and reverses I'd like to throw out there based on what you just said. But I mean, if I can share an observation and, and recently just because there's just so much, I'd say pressure on sellers and just pressures, pressure on individuals um, and ever-changing market. I'm not going through all those cliches and all, but definitely the economy and AI has put everyone under pressure. Um, it's taken me, a, I'm, I'm turning 50 this year and only this year did I find what I call my inner peace in selling. And that inner peace is something that um, is difficult to describe, but you know you've got it when you're not worried 
about what the bank looks like. You, 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 you don't even think about what's happening in the bank because what's important is doing business for the right reasons with the right people. And so I think my question to you is, um, what and, 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 you know, it's a little tough for maybe some of the listeners and the viewers, even for us, what makes people, sales professionals, managers, business owners, entrepreneurs, what makes them forget that there's someone in front of them and focus only on their outcome and not the outcome of, it's, uh, it's of, a good of their question. I believe it comes down to the one thing, which is uncertainty. The brain's default setting whenever it comes across something that is uncertain, is to go to the worst case scenario. So we have a tendency to catastrophize. And um, then what happens is we build our perceived risk and everyone has a threshold. And below that threshold, they're willing to take that risk. Above that threshold, they're not. And our job as sellers is to understand the only thing that we have any control over in terms of the buyer's mind is how much uncertainty we can remove and how much certainty we can deliver to them because the formula for perceived risk is vulnerability times uncertainty equals perceived risk. Vulnerability means I know it's gonna hurt. I just don't know from where, for how long, or how much. Now, the perceived risk, because I'm uncertain, is right off the top of the scale. Now, if I come along as a seller, and I help them create a clear pathway between where they are and where they want to be and give them a sense of certainty that what they want to accomplish is possible, not only possible, but certain if they build and follow the plan, then all of a sudden it releases people, it frees them up. I've been doing a bunch of case studies the last couple of weeks for people stretching back 16 years. And without exception, every single one of them is calm in the face of the recession. And they're kind of looking forward to it because it represents a challenge. And they understand that working within those constraints makes them more creative. They don't see it as a downside. They recognize because they're asking the right questions. So the first question you have to ask yourself is, is there a better way? And is it necessary? Because nine times out of 10, most of the things that you do, and we look at the sales function and marketing function, we have most of the behaviors and motions that we exercise have failure rates north of 90%, 97%, 99%. And that is considered best practice. Let me tell you, any other department, finance, health and safety, HR, that had a failure rate in that, uh, to that degree would instantly be fired and probably be jailed, okay? The behavior and the belief systems that support the current setup in sales, marketing, leadership, management, and investment is utterly broken and utterly corrupt. Now, given that fact and those constraints, you have to work within them. So what do we do? So I'll let you talk for a second. Um, well, you mentioned, uh, the keyword I heard throughout that, that, um, insight was belief. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm thinking, asking myself, I'm asking myself, um, 
is it the sellers struggle to reach their inner peace and you know be a human being on a call or on a process um, because they don't believe their buyers, or is it because no, their buyers don't believe, the control. or it's or the, the buyer? It's where they believe the control rests. Um, if you believe that you have control over how to respond and you have the right to walk away, you have the right to charge what you are worth, uh, you have the right to pick and choose who you work with, um, yeah. then you find your inner peace and because your locus of control is internal. When you, uh, if your locus of control is external and you worry about what other people think, uh, yep. so that significance driver is an ego thing. It's a drama triangle trap. Um, if you worry about uh, the outcome, uh, as in, um, are you going to get your selfish self-interest met first, or are you willing to suppress that for the time being and um, have self-orientation, but put in front of that and above it your credibility, i.e. being able to do what you say you can, reliability, damn well doing it, and intimacy. And this is the really hard part. Because most salespeople represent a threat to the buyer because everything that we do in sales, in traditional selling, and by traditional selling, I mean traditional management, okay, um, everything that we do is designed accidentally and inadvertently to switch off the clever bit of our seller's brains, the prefrontal cortex, because when you put them under stress, that switches off and the lower brain functions kick in to survive. Now, when you put them into survival mode, they lose the power of speech, they lose the power of logic and reason, and then you put them in front of customers, often at the end of the quarter, trying to pressure the customer to make a decision when they are not ready, and you trigger part of the brain in the buyer called the insular succumbens. That is the domain of contempt and disgust. Is this genuinely what you intended when you sent your salespeople out there to bring it back or don't come back at all. Yeah, it's go out there, get the get, you know, bring in the meat, go out there for the hunt, and then if you're not coming about empty-handed and focusing on the lagging indicators, focusing on the results, but not focusing on what's important is what they need to do in order to get to the right outcome. Which, by the way, could be a no, and that's also all right. But you know, in a world where uh, you know, don't come back with a no is the mindset then that the pressure builds up and of course they do stupid stuff. And at the end of the day, in my opinion, you know, they say there's no such thing as uh, a bad salespeople, only bad prospects. In my opinion, there's no such thing as bad salespeople. It's only bad management. So absolutely. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. No, no question. Absolutely. I mean, the, the, um, it's not the middle manager's fault. Mostly. Uh, I mean, there are a few malicious ones. Leadership. Yeah. It It's always, um, it's yeah. Well, the, the reality is that managers are more often than not promoted in battlefield promotions, yep. okay, because they get tapped on the shoulder as they're eating their cornflakes, um, and they told, uh, James, I need a word, and you think, oh, my God, I'm getting fired. Um, bad news, and your heart sinks. We've just had to fire your idiot boss. Good news, you're now the idiot boss. Off you go, son, and that's your runway. Now, yep. the, the job is totally different. As an individual contributor, your job is to hit your quota. As a manager, your job is to hire great people, help them 
all hit their quota by creating the conditions for them to thrive and do their best work and protect them from acts of idiocy from above and help them work out how to clear roadblocks. That's it. That's your job. Everything else is masturbatory. It's completely and utterly irrelevant and it's a distraction. If you are doing all those things, the reporting takes care of itself. You can delegate. Um, you can spend time in design. You can spend time cooperating. You can spend time in the field. Yeah. Who knows? Even coaching. There, there are two concepts I want to throw out here. One um, is an NLP concept of cause or effect. So being a cause or being an effect, or being an effect. I, I don't know if you're, if you're, a, if you're, uh, if you know about that that concept. I um, sellers, for the most part, um, you know, they're always complaining and they're either victimizing themselves or persecuting and so on. So acting more at effect as a, as opposed to being a cause and also the responsibility and accountability of being a cause. By the way. But there's another concept I'd like to focus on, and, and that is, um, you know, you've got the 2080 uh, 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 concept with regards to 20% of sales people and professionals, I'll say salespeople and leaders, um, they are goal setters and 80% are problem solvers. And so the 80% for the most part, when they're in front of, and this kind of ties back to what we discussed earlier, when they're in, you know, they're in the sales engagement and um, they see every single thing that comes out of their prospect's mouth as a problem to be solved in the communication. Forget about the problems they're looking to solve down the line. So it's more about focusing on problems in the communication they're trying to solve as opposed to solving the end, the, 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 you know, the yeah. outcome or, or why they're there. Tell me your thoughts. Well, I think the sales training industry, frankly, is just a great tra uh, sales training robbery as far as I'm concerned, by and large. Um, for a number of reasons. You do not need to focus on uh, the dogma uh, of the playbook. And that's what most organizations have tried to do because they've done selling down. Um, and it starts with a fundamental redefinition of what selling is and what it is not. Selling is not going out peddling shit, okay? Um, selling is the facilitation of buying. It is helping buyers make the best decision for themselves for now and the future, whether it involves us eventually or not. And we have to make a judgment call as to when we uh, choose to cut off our help or not. Um, however, um, the emphasis is entirely wrong because we spend our time focused and fixated on the short term because of our business model. Our business model requires us to do quarterly reporting. And many of us, particularly your clients and mine, are in the tech space. So they've got private equity or venture capital behind them. And so they're being driven by the job to be done, which is the valuation target, because there is a bigger job that the private equity and venture capital serve, which is raising the next fund. Yep. Now, when you understand that big job to be done, then the cascade of idiocy makes sense. So now you start to understand, okay, well, why is it they hire narcissistic mercenary bastards uh, in sales? Why is it that they have bullies in management? And why is it that they have finance people on the board? Well, it becomes obvious because you're trying to serve a different job. Now, yeah. in sales, you have a choice, okay? And this is where principled selling really comes in because you have to make a choice sometimes between doing the right thing for your customer and risking being fired, risking the um, ire of your boss. 
okay? But doing the right thing is never the wrong thing. And values are not things that you can compromise if they are truly values. But like I said, if the context changes and your fundamental human needs are met, aren't met, then the temptation will be there. So what I teach people to do is work with that pressure and walk the tightrope so that you can do all three. You can achieve your goals without ever compromising uh, what the buyer needs and keep your bosses and your peers happy so you fit in. And then you can decide, do I stay or do I headhunt my next boss? I love it. I love it. So let's, you know what, let's give the listeners, give the viewers, and maybe also give ourselves uh, some of your thoughts on how some, because most sellers, they don't really have, I mean, you talk, we talk about values, um, you know, not compromising them and, and, and just, you know, making sure that there are our Northern star. But for the most part, most sellers that I meet, if I were to ask them, what are your values? For the most part, none of them will know what I'm talking about. You know, uh, best case scenario, maybe one or two will say integrity or, um, you know, qualification or I, I don't know what. So according to Marcus Kalki, how does one recognize what their values are and how does one solidify those to be the benchmark of what they do? Right. You recognize your values because your gut tells you this feels wrong. If you're mm. procrastinating, that is a choice. It's a decision. And it tells you you would rather be looking at kitten videos than calling strangers and being shouted at. But that comes down to expectation and other values. Um, I genuinely believe that we should be utterly transparent and honest at all times. Just, not just because it's right, but for the practical reason that you don't have to bloody remember anything. Um, and whilst people can forgive you if they catch you in a lie or an omission, they will never forget it. And that will always be the fly in the ointment. I believe that um, you are a person who is known by the promises you keep. So be a person of your word. Do not make promises you don't intend to keep. And if for any reason there is any possibility you are not going to be able to keep them, don't make an excuse. Fess up and, then, and make sure you come with a solution. And if you can't, admit it and make restitution. Do right by when you've done wrong. Um, you know, turn up with the right intent to serve and to help. There's nothing wrong with service. It's not servitude. Service is what we do as social primates. We love, the, I mean, there's nothing more satisfying for me anyway um, than when one of my clients comes back and tells me when they have had a victory. I don't care whether I was involved. I love the fact that they get the credit for it. That's a delight. When my kids are successful, my daughter got 50 out of 50 in her test of uh, driving test theory yesterday. I was ecstatic for her. Yeah. And human beings love this. We're really good when we work together, when we um, cooperate, when we co-develop solutions, when we choreograph what we do, when we co-elevate one another. And that's my philosophy. Now, how do we find what we have in common? And these are really important things. And your gut will tell you when you're breaking your values because it will feel like it's wrong. And you look yourself in the eye in the mirror and you can't look yourself in the eye without feeling a twinge of guilt. 
I mean, the good thing about being Jewish and you know, Latin Catholic, um, you know, we've got guilt on our side. The only advantage you have is that it doesn't come with sex. Yeah. Oh, wow. So, yeah, it's interesting. I had a call yesterday with a prospect and he said to me, um, I want to do this, but I have to ask you, how, um, how will I know this is going to work? This is working. How will I know? How will I recognize the ROI? And I said to him, the only, the, um, I said, look, I can promise you numbers and all this other stuff and say, if you do what we tell you and you do the behaviors and all that, but I'm going to cut all that stuff out. You know, when you know this is working, do you know when you know you're successful? It's not when people give you gratitude. It's not when your customers tell you, thank you. It's when your customers tell you that they're getting gratitude. It's when your customers and the people that you're engaged in, you're helping turn around to you and tell you that they are getting recognition for whatever they're solving and you've helped them, but also when they come to you. And I, I personally believe that you know you're doing the right thing for the right reasons if you're getting three bits of gratitude a day. If, they're, if you're randomly getting three acts of gratitude a day, then that's, you're, you're doing something right. Something is working. Well a brilliant exercise and a habit I would recommend everybody get into, and it served me incredibly well, is by 11 o'clock, give two good introductions to someone in your network without mm. any expectation of reciprocation or reward. And you build an enormous amount of goodwill. Um, and what it also does, it means you've helped two people without any expectation of selfish gain. That sends a very different message to the market, to your competition, because your competition, every time they speak to them, are going to be looking to put their hand in their pocket. Now, one Absolutely. other thing that's really important is you've got to slow down. One of the core values is that our buyers buy when they are ready, not when we wish they were. Um, I wrote a piece yesterday on LinkedIn, which I want people to pile in and criticize, if I'm being perfectly honest. And it's some basic principles. Okay, the first thing is you put your customer first. Their interest, their desired outcome over yours. It doesn't mean yours isn't important, but you have to serve them. You have to focus on outcomes. And this is where people, I think, get it wrong because they, they, they hear the pain and they see the reaction people get that people pay for and rent the outcome. You're a guide. You're not the hero. You're not a bully. You're not, um, you know, you're not conquering. You're there to liberate them. You're trying to help them. You're driving change, and people don't fear change. What they fear is uncertainty. So you've got to be transparent. You've got to understand the big picture, and you've got to talk to them and consult and challenge and um, make them think. You've got to be able to help them to uh, see themselves in that story with examples. Um, you, you've got to really focus on helping them understand where the value is and how you're removing risk. You've got to listen. Now, there are four things that I believe we should all be learning as salespeople, and you've never done. Listening, questioning, answering, and reading the room. Now, Questioning, by and large, is taught very badly. Don't uh, ask closed questions because you might get a no. Awful uh, uh, bit of advice. Um, ask open questions, but then they ask surface boring ones, and it goes nowhere, and they're non-directional, which is why we do like closed questions. Um, then 
we're taught never answer a question uh, answer a question with a question. Okay, so you're answering questions and you sound evasive. You trigger things in the buyer's brain, which neuroscience tells us is a bad thing. Um, and the answers, I mean, you are never going to be asked an original question. You're never going to be asked for an original piece of information. You are never going to get an original objection. So every one of these things can be planned for and prepared. And so my fundamental belief is that buyers deserve the most well-prepared, the most well-rehearsed, and the most thought-provoking salespeople. Now, name me a manager who doesn't want one of them too. Okay, so now we've found common ground. That's the unifying principle. So how do you become one of them? The best prepared, the best researched, the best rehearsed, and the most provocative. I love it. That's Marcus Kalki for you, ladies and gentlemen. There it is. Excellent. Marcus, so what is your secret source of selling? I wish I could do this. Stifu, shut up. Uh, listen, talk less um, and really be present. Um, when you turn up, have done your research. So you can come up with a really powerful hypothesis even if it's wrong, because it's a stimulation for conversation. Your job on that first meeting is to present that you are a safe pair of hands, that you represent zero threat. No amygdala hijack on your side or their side, because the moment your amygdala gets hired, uh, uh, triggered, you end up going into freeze, flight, or fight. That cannot possibly yeah. serve you well. And when you trigger their amygdala, because you're self-serving, pushy, coercive, manipulative, in too much of a rush, or you're not answering their questions, or you're giving them reason to doubt you, you trigger their amygdala, and they go into freeze, flight, or fight, or flocking, which is where they go and talk to their friends behind your back, and they're not necessarily saying good things. Yeah, for sure. Excellent. Marcus, is there anything uh, about you that's not on your bio, anything you like to do outside of work that kind of enhances who you are as a human being, um, gives you time to think and reflect, uh, which then you can translate into your roles uh, so that you, one, enjoy what you're doing, but two, people get that energy from you uh, that it's not only about going to the bank. It's almost nothing to do with going to the bank. In all honesty, I don't really care about the money. It's a byproduct. It's a symptom, just like the clothes is. Um, the, the money comes if I do the right behaviors and I do. Uh, I come with the right intent. Um I really love going for walks now. In the last six months, I've lost uh, uh, 25 kilos, 26 kilos, something like that. And I feel incredibly uh, different. Um, I've been working with functional medicine practitioners. She's sorting my gut out and hormones and all sorts. And um, that's given me a, a very different uh, energy level. So now we go walking in the woods, and I love that. That gives me time to reflect. The big problem is that it also triggers a lot of ideas. Um, so um, that then means I have to make notes. Um, so now that I've got the GPT app, um, I can just pop the idea in and then carry on walking, which means that it just sort of works in the background. Um, but um, I really love a good film um, and just getting lost in a good story. And um, I I'll tell you one of the most engaging and fascinating exercises has been pulling together an ecosystem of about 100 of the top go-to-market 
RevOps people that I know. Um, and we've started working together on customers' problems. So they bring us the shittiest, gnarliest, most difficult, impossible to fix, wicked problems. And we just spend two hours trying to understand it. And we have six or seven of us looking at it through different lenses, through a lens of trust or through a lens of neuroscience or cooperation and partnering or ecosystems or modeling or data. Um, and it's just the most sublime um, work experience I have ever had. So it, I'm going to make a plug because I'm looking for mid-market, so 10 to 50 million turnover um, scale-up companies that are, they've found market fit. You've got a few customers, but you've hit a wall and you just can't break through it. We'll give you two hours for free and they're some of the best and brightest minds. I, I mean, they're people in my network that I've been curating through the, my podcast. So if you've listened to that, it's those people. Um, and you'll get two hours. And at the end of it, we'll give you our thoughts. And you can do with it what you want. We would love to work with you. However, that's not the objective. We're trying to understand how we work together and for you to give us raw, unvarnished feedback about the experience. And for that, you probably get about 30 grand's worth of consultancy. So if you want to get hold of me, Marcus at laughsiphonlast.com and put red thread freebie in the subject line. That's awesome. There you go. Just win-win. That's a total win-win. I love it. Um, talk about win-win. Uh, let's give a shout out to our sponsors, Novacy, uh, for hosting this uh, podcast, uh, Novacy.io, focusing on... Um, on what is said and what isn't said on uh, on the virtual calls, uh, check out Novacy. They're a game changer. Marcus, um, this has been great. By the way, is there anything, I mean, apart from your podcast, which is wonderful, I think I've been on that thing for a few times, and the Inquisitor podcast, is it the Inquisitor? Yeah. Did I get that right? Yeah. yeah. Um, you must have how many hundred episodes by now? You must have 500? We're just coming up to 500 episodes now. Wow. And Congratulations! Sales, marketing, management, leadership, recruitment, investment, scaling, um, uh, recession, AI. Uh, we're doing a load of work around AI at the moment. That's fascinating. I mean, the potential is endless. I mean, um, if you shift your focus to the medium term uh, in terms of pipeline generation, what you can do with this stuff is breathtaking. Uh, I have a client at the moment, um, and we've been working together eight months. He sells capital equipment into FMCG, and he's not had a new product in eight years. He's tracking at 600% ahead of the market and 400% of budget, and everyone on his team halfway through the year is at least at 80% of budget. Now, you can't do that unless you change what you're doing by focusing on doing the right things consistently and the ai has opened up all sorts of really fascinating possibilities so i'm very excited by that um and working with people like lisa palmer for example um you know she's uh, you know she's uh, a salesperson uh, a manager a leader she's uh, headed up departments at gartner um at splunk she was a chief technical uh, officer um, so when sales were screwing up uh, she acted as the customer uh, and uh, as a customer advocate uh, on their biggest deals. Now, 
this is the kind of person that we're giving uh, access to in the uh, the um, the red thread uh, giveaway. But th- you know, these are the people that you've got to listen to, because what we talk about on the podcast is the difficult stuff. We don't tackle easy questions. We go really deep into the gnarly, horrible stuff that everyone else is avoiding. And I think that's really important. And actually another value, go looking for bad news. Always run to the sound of gunfire. If you are in business, that is the best place. You will learn the most. It's terrifying. I promise you, you will learn the most though. That's how you develop great product. That's how you develop lifetime customers. I agree. I agree. Marcus, thank you so much. This has been a delight. Um, looking forward to having you back. Uh, it just feels it's just so much to talk about. Um, and to our to our listeners and viewers, uh, thanks for tuning in. Subscribe. Click that subscribe button. And I'll see you next time. Until then, uh, whatever you do, make sure you're doing it for the right reasons. Um, you're keeping your mouth shut. Your ears open. No guts, no gain. Good selling. Have fun. <laughs>